Filing for bankruptcy can save a company, but it's an onerous and unpredictable process. That's why Neil wrote his book, How to Avoid Corporate Bankruptcy and Still Get the Benefits Without the Expense, Lawyers, and Oversight. In there, he covers the informal plan that he has used over 20 times to help companies that were in trouble. Look for it on Amazon, or by following the link in the show notes below, or just reach out to him directly by calling 940-808-9451. You are listening to Corporate Bankruptcy A to Z, a show designed to educate you on the ins and outs and the do's and don'ts of corporate bankruptcy. On this show, you will hear experts from every step of the bankruptcy process answer the questions you will need to know from the simple to the complex. Your show host is Neil Goldstein, a.k.a. The Workout Guy, a chief restructuring officer who has spent the last 25 years helping over 75 clients take on the bankruptcy process. Alongside him is co-host and legal expert Stephen Raven of Saul Ewing, Arnstein & Lear Law Firm. He's a bankruptcy lawyer with over 40 years legal experience under his belt. Take it away, Neil. Tower Records. This downfall hurts me at my core. Tower Records was the place not only to get the latest hit records, but also discover new artists. The staff knew every group, their hits, and underground cool artists you needed to have. Can growth kill a company? The answer is a long narrative with Tower Records' logo as emblematic of that notion. Expanding across the globe required over $100 million of debt. What changed? Napster, iTunes, and big box stores becoming competitors. 40 years in business ended in 2006 in, altogether, a bankruptcy. Lesson learned. Do not fail to recognize that technology changes and management needs to understand why Polaroid, Xerox, Kodak, and other companies who once dominated their fields failed. Keep reinventing your company as the world mandates. Sir Isaac, did you have time to review the questions from listeners this week? Neil, we have a question from Ben in Detroit. He says, it seems like the determination to file bankruptcy begins with a good CRO. When I search on Google to find a CRO, all I get are large companies who charge more than I have the ability to pay. How can I find the right CRO? Ben, what a great question. The answer is easy, but in a contradictory sort of way. The second step in the process, finding the most appropriate bankruptcy attorney, is the best path to finding the first step the CRO. I would recommend calling two bankruptcy attorneys, explain your situation to both, and ask for referrals for a CRO. Get three referrals, check their references, and pick the one you are most comfortable with. If you are still having any issues, please email or call me, neil at elementarybusiness.com, 940-808-9451. Our resident expert, Steve Raven, is back with us today. Steve, thanks for returning. Thank you, Neil. Corporate Bankruptcy is proud to have Mike Bussell of Aegis Business Credit on the show today. Having worked with Mike, I can testify this is one of the best sources for capital available today. 
This is not an advertisement, but an endorsement of Aegis as a lender who can help companies with issues. Mike, my experience with clients has been they are quite unfamiliar with DIP financing. What is DIP financing? DIP stands for Debtor in Possession Financing, and it's commonly referred to loans that are that are made to a company that has recently filed Chapter 11. And Chapter 11 bankruptcy is a reorganization of the company. So it means that the, the company and the business continues to proceed and operate. And it, it really means a it's a debtor or the client that's filed bankruptcy and they're in possession of assets that may uh, have a claim from other creditors. Does it differ from regular financing with the conventional bank? You know what? There are a lot of similarities. It differs primarily in the protections that the lender that comes in and provides the dip loan is granted. But in reality, it works very similarly to a line of credit that uh, is provided by a bank. Could you give us one of those protections that the new lender gets? In most cases, in small to mid-sized businesses, the new creditor or, or lender gets a, a priming lien ahead of uh, most all other creditors involved in, in the bankruptcy, including the previous secured lender. And I may defer partially to Steve to uh, further clarify the, the priming lien that the dip lender typically gets. Well, it's ironic that uh, Neil and I exchanged some emails about that very subject about an hour ago. In order for a new lender to loan into a Chapter 11 risky situation, the new lender that's providing this dip uh, is going to require a higher level of protection. And included in that higher level will be that the new lender wants to make sure that they have the first lien on the assets. Thus, if there is an existing lender, the new lender will require that they come ahead or prime the original lender. And the only two ways that can happen is if the old lender subordinates voluntarily to the new lender, which if that does not occur, if the bankruptcy court can direct that the new lender's loan primes the original lender. But the bankruptcy court will only do that under extreme circumstances and usually only when the value of the assets warrants it. The judge is not going to leave the original lender out in the cold. But if the judge decides that the collateral is worth enough to protect both lenders, then the judge is more inclined to allow the priming lien of the second or new lender. Is it like a term loan or an LOC, a line of credit? So it, it functions like a, a line of credit, typically interest-only payments, and it's almost always in a Chapter 11 governed by a borrowing base. And a borrowing base just means that the dip loan would not exceed the value of accounts receivable and inventory, and in some cases, other assets. But the primary purpose of the dip loan is to provide 
working capital, short-term working capital for that company that has recently filed bankruptcy. When you say short-term, what would be an average length of time that a lender would expect that dip loan to be in work? Uh, A lot of times, uh, and Steve can help me out here, but a lot of times the Chapter 11 may have a four or five-year plan. While it's short-term in nature in the sense that it's helping the company pay vendors and make payroll, the actual term of the loan itself may be several years in, in length. Well, it's actually, it can be several years. It can be a half a year, depending upon the circumstances of each case. And in fact, it can be a half a year as a dip and then converted into a more conventional loan if the Chapter 11 debtor confirms a plan of reorganization. It's like a new day, less risky for the lender. And the Chapter 11 debtor may want to negotiate better terms going forward. This may be a strange question, and you both have answered it thoroughly, but why would a lender want to make a loan to a company that just filed for bankruptcy? I'll take that first. You mentioned at the beginning of the call that I wasn't a greedy banker, um, but uh, you know I still have a little bit of that in me somewhere. So there is an incentive for the lender to come in financially because as, as one might, might understand, the, the loans are inherently or perceived to be riskier and therefore the interest rate is likely higher than a, a conventional bank loan by several percentage points typically. And that, that's going to be somewhat governed by the judge in the bankruptcy court. But the interest rates are typically higher and the protections are greater. And the loan is more likely to be short-term in nature. It's not meant to, to you know, a 10-year loan at a high interest rate. It's meant to, to come in and assist the company getting through the, the bankruptcies. Steve, can you describe the legal position of the new DIP lender? Well, the legal position is typically what I was describing before, where the new lender will come in in first place with a priming lien. Or as a matter of fact, the new lender could come in and take out the original lender and thus be the only lender. Practically speaking, what happens is the bankruptcy court will enter a rather lengthy court order, which is filled with paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of protections for the new lender along the lines of what Mike was just talking about. If a company is not paying its vendors and creditors, why would it need DIP financing? It has plenty of cash on hand from not making those disbursements. Mike? Well, if the company has taken the measure or the action of filing Chapter 11 to reorganize its its debts and its obligations, then typically its vendors will place the, the company on, on cash on demand or restrict the terms that they would grant to the company. So the company finds itself typically immediately in a cash crunch in a sense that one, their pre-petition lender may or may not continue to allow them to borrow under their existing line of credit if they have a line of credit and therefore their access to capital may, be, may or may not be cut off depending on, on what's negotiated ahead of time in the chapter 11 plan. Two, 
their suppliers who used to be so friendly perhaps and give them 30 or 60 day terms now may demand payment up front. So the company finds itself in an immediate cash crunch position, which is where the, the dip lender comes in to provide capital, to pay suppliers and to make payroll. Makes sense. Mike, what are the requirements for getting a DIP loan? The core requirement is not too dissimilar than a company seeking a, a traditional loan. The DIP lender would typically want, want to look at two things. One, does the company and the business have a viable plan going forward after the restructuring effort? Do the revenue and the gross profits provide profitability for the company to operate going forward? And then two, what is the collateral? And in most cases, uh, the collateral is accounts receivable and inventory. So um, as long as the company generally has a business plan that makes sense and, and the lender can understand and the collateral, meaning the accounts receivable and inventory are good collateral. And by good collateral, I mean a, a, a lender would typically lend against those types of assets if the company weren't in bankruptcy. Then a lot of times the, the company will be successful in finding a, a dip lender. But if the business ultimately is kind of destined to fail in, in some ways, and that's that's hard to define, but then it may be difficult to uh, attract a dip lender. Steve, maybe you can help me to understand the following. In a chapter 11, the company continues to operate while a plan to pay its creditors is being formulated. The company is not paying its lender, but can get a new loan called the DIP, debtor in possession loan that has a preference over all previous debts? Yes. Well, that, that's part of uh, the negotiation that the dip lender, which, by the way, the likelihood of the Chapter 11 debtor surviving without this loan is, is nil. So the tension points are that, number one, the bankruptcy court wants the Chapter 11 debtor to live another day, to have the opportunity to reorganize. Number two, the dip lender is not going to do this loan unless it knows that it's fully protected and will get paid back, which is translating that it has to be in first place. And uh, number three, Usually the other constituencies are in favor of it because they want this company to survive and attempt to reorganize as well. And Neil, I, I may have a, another on that same vein, Steve. The existing working capital lender typically would have the option to come in as the dip lender. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, it is a fair statement. In fact, they will be the first resort because there's no learning curve. It's just a matter of dotting an I and crossing a T as opposed to starting a new negotiation and learning curve all over again. And if the existing lender does not have the capacity or willingness to come in as the dip lender, are there circumstances where the existing secured lender may work out some sort of arrangement with the new dip lender where a portion of their of their pre-filing debt may get paid by the new dip lender? Yeah, you know, the sky is the limit when a company goes into or is negotiating or pre-planning to go into Chapter 11. The sky is the limit as far as what can be negotiated. And if the 
prior lender says, hey, if I'm owed $5 million, I'll subordinate a $3 million of that if you agree to pay me back a million of it. So, you know, it's a lot of give and take. All of the players in the bankruptcy, usually the financial advisors and the other lenders and the attorneys get very creative and fashion what's best for everybody. On a previous episode, one of the questions asked of the guests and the attorneys was, is there a better time to file? And in my client's case, he he planned the proper time to file when he would have the most money in the bank, which was beneficial, I guess you could say not only to the company, but also the creditors or most of the creditors, because the company had a better chance of survival with the cash in the bank. I guess that company did not have a working capital line or loan outstanding. It actually paid it off because it had that much more cash in the bank. Right. The personal guarantee of the owner was taken off of the plan. So again, there was a lot of timing involved in getting the most appropriate time for the company to file. When it comes to the timing of a filing, cash is critical. So as we said in the prior episode, a retail business will typically file right after Christmas when they have loads of money in the bank, as opposed to before Christmas when they don't have loads of money and they need to buy product. Dip financing is most critical to companies that um, sell business to business and are typically in an industry where it's traditional that they provide extended terms, 30, 60 plus day uh, terms when they sell a product or service that gap in the time that you provide a service or sell a good and actually get paid by your client is oftentimes companies are not able to overcome that without dip financing in place unless they have uh, large amounts of liquidity at the time of filing. Mike, do you use a lockbox when dealing with DIP loans where the money comes to you into your bank and then you disperse it back to your client? That is our preference. I'd be curious to to hear Steve's view for, for larger middle market or corporate loans. Do the DIP lenders require a deposit account control agreement? Are they able to have a lockbox in place or how, how do they kind of perfect dominion over cash? Well, typically what I see more often than not is that, uh, yes, they have a dominion and control agreement in place. It's rare that the Chapter 11 debtor will be in control of the cash. And that's a change normally from their present operations or pre-bankruptcy operations, it seems. For the most part, except uh, most accounts receivable loans or factored loans, uh, you know, are that fashion. When the money goes to a lockbox, the company doesn't even see it. And any dollars that come in go to the lockbox, and any dollars that go back to the company come from the lender directly. Steve, is the DIP loan in any way related to the bankruptcy and the company's debt? You mean is the amount of the loan related to the debts? Can it bleed into this DIP loan in any way, or is it so mutually exclusive that it is a totally new transaction. 
typically the negotiations for the DIP loan and the consequent court order that memorializes everything is negotiated in favor of the lender so that it's pretty much airtight. So the debts to the vendors, either pre or post Chapter 11, are not going to bleed into the return that the DIP lender will ultimately get. Mike, how much can a company get in the form of a DIP loan? I mean, DIP loan sizes can range from a few hundred thousand dollars to hundreds of millions of dollars. There's a big spectrum of lenders from companies like myself, who typically deal with smaller companies, less than a a few hundred employees um, that need loans for a few million dollars, all the way up to the Wells Fargo's and JP Morgan's of of the world that may provide $500 million plus loans to, to large retailers and other companies that would have to file a Chapter 11. Mike, are personal guarantees necessary to get the loan? From our perspective, it, it depends on who the owners and operators of the business are. If it's a family-owned or closely held business, we would like for the owners to personally guarantee. If the business is owned by a private equity group or other financial sponsor, then a personal guarantee would not have to be a requirement for the DIP loan. Interesting. Our resident bankruptcy expert, Steve Raven, can help your company decide if a bankruptcy is the right choice. Send an email to sraven at sol.com or by calling 973-286-6714. We hope you are enjoying this episode of Corporate Bankruptcy A to Z. Want more of the podcast? Well, be sure you listen through to the very end of this episode for a bonus segment, Overtime. For now, let's go back to the show. Steve, this is a confusing one for me. If personal guarantees are required for the DIP loan, which personal guarantee has priority? The one made before the filing or the new one to get the DIP loan? None of the personal guarantees have priority. If there's a default by more than one lender or vendor, Whichever of that lender or vendor gets a judgment against the individual first is the one that will essentially have a priority. There's no legal priority of personal guarantees. So the old bank has a personal guarantee. The new lender has a personal guarantee. The client defaults and the first one to the courthouse wins? Yes. That's strange. When the new lender is doing its due diligence and determining whether or not to give the loan, a factor will be the strength of the personal guarantee. So although the old lender may be the first to the courthouse, the new lender may have only made the loan on the basis that the personal guarantor had enough collateral that it wouldn't matter who got to the courthouse first. So these are all things that the lender will consider when deciding to make the loan or how much or the personal guarantee. This is what the lenders do. This is their business. 
Are the interest rates greater for a DIP loan than a conventional loan? The short answer to that is yes. The degree to which they're higher depends on a wide variety of circumstances that, that uh, depending on the perceived risk and the amount of the loan. But I think generally speaking, they are you know, three to 5% higher interest rate than a typical loan may be, plus some other fees that would be paid to the dip lender. Good for the lender. Well, that's why the lenders do it. What collateral is necessary to pledge to get a DIP loan? Yeah, so traditional working capital collateral and, and, and what that uh, means in, in, in general sense is, is accounts receivable, inventory, and in some case, equipment that the company may have, depending on if there's other equipment lenders that are already in place, and oftentimes there are. So for the most part, it's accounts receivable, inventory, and cash proceeds thereof. If I could embellish that slightly, whatever assets there are to serve as collateral will usually serve as collateral. For example, patents, intellectual property, names, whatever whatever there might be that at the end of the day, the lender can grab. If there's a default, they will grab it. Steve, just so our listeners get this clearly... Is the collateral legally available to get the DIP loan? Well, the collateral is legally available if the initial lender, the first lender, agrees to subordinate its loan to the new DIP lender, or if the bankruptcy court determines that, in fact, the value of the assets is enough to protect both lenders, the bankruptcy court can direct that the new loan primes the first loan. And the reason for that is that the DIP lender will say to the bankruptcy court, Your Honor, I am not going to do this loan if you do not allow me to prime the prior lender. So again, going back to where we said that the bankruptcy court wants the debtor to have its second breath and its opportunity to reorganize, the court will bend over backwards, but not unreasonably so, to make that happen. Mike, any parting words for our listeners? Dip financing can be a a great tool if the company has to file Chapter 11 or feels like Chapter 11 is the best, best path for survival. I would say that there are some misconceptions about it out there, but certainly I would encourage clients to to seek professional advice, whether that's through a financial advisor who's been through Chapter 11s frequently or through bankruptcy counsel who can help guide them to the best dip lender that may be available. Steve, do you have any parting words for the listeners on DIP lending? Uh, yes, I do. When a company is considering a DIP loan, they should not just go to the first deal they get. The lenders these days are rather competitive amongst each other, and it's usually not difficult to negotiate better terms. The lenders want to make the loans, 
So there is definitely a little play in the negotiation process. Okay, Mike, here's the fun part. Can you share some highlights from one of your more interesting DIP loans or how to avoid situations which maybe ages can help with? Certainly. Well, um, over the past going on 24 months now, I, I would say we ha have fortunately avoided any of our clients having to file a Chapter 11. And Aegis will work very closely with our clients in distress situations to help them through whatever challenge they may be facing. And in effect, uh, Aegis will in certain times guide a company through a process that looks and feels just like a Chapter 11 would, but it, it allows the company to avoid the stigma of actually filing, avoid hopefully perhaps getting cut off from their suppliers if they do file and avoid the administrative and legal costs of going through a formal Chapter 11 plan. And what that essentially looks like is myself or a representative from Aegis will work on a weekly basis with the controller or CFO of that company that may be in distress. And that company may not have enough liquidity and may not be profitable enough to pay all of its suppliers on time every week. And just as in a chapter 11 plan, the company will provide a rolling 13 week cash flow budget, itemize their most cr critical vendors, who they have to pay to continue operating. And in this situation, we were working with a sizable concrete company that had over 100 employees and was a critical supplier to the Department of Transportation in Florida for certain concrete products to, that are used in road work. And they were seriously considering filing a chapter 11. Aegis was able to have enough trust in the in the in the management team and ownership group to effectively extend a, a million dollars in extra credit to the company in the form of an, a, an over advance beyond our typical loan parameters in order to help the company get through a difficult period. And ultimately, the company was able to sell to a larger concrete company in the industry. And so we partnered with the company. We were able to get a hundred percent return on our principal and interest, the owners of the company were able to avoid a chapter 11 filing and ultimately sell the company to another client in, in the industry, keep all of their 150 employees in place. And so it was a good success story as an alternative to, to a chapter 11 filing. Great story, Mike. With that in mind, would you tell the listeners where they can reach you? Sure. Um, you can uh, find my contact information on our website, aegisbusinesscredit.com. I'm happy to receive emails, but I um, also provide my direct cell phone to all of our clients and prospects. I can give you that number, which is 336-391-6073. My email is my name, first initial M as in Mike, and last name F-U-S-S-E-L-L. -L. So that's M Fussell at AegisBusinessCredit.com and Aegis is spelled A-E-G-I-S. Do you have any concerns about the bankruptcy process and how it will impact your business? Or do you have a special topic that you would like Neil and Steve to address? Send your emails to Neil at ElementaryBusiness.com and to SRaven at Saul.com or you can follow the links in the show notes below. Corporate Bankruptcy A to Z is produced by me, Sir Isaac Smith. We would also like to give a special thanks to our show's advisor, Dan Goldstein. Thanks for listening to Corporate Bankruptcy A to Z. 
the interesting thing, I didn't want to bring it up during the recording, is the vendor always seems to get screwed here. As you brought up, if if a client benefits business to business, Mike, as you said, then there's this period of time where the vendor is exposed, 30, 60, 90. And during that period, if a client files for bankruptcy, they're out that 36, 60 or 90. And what I try and do as the CRO is I track payments from every client. So if I find that a client is paying in 32 days, 33 days, 34, and it goes up to 36, I start to put the brakes on because I know something bad is happening. Not one case where the company paid late did they ever seem to recover and start paying earlier. It always seemed to get worse until they reached the point where it was 40. The vendor was in an awkward situation of having to supply more credit, be more exposed. And I usually shut down. My, I tell my clients, slow down a bit. They're paying later and later. We may slow that process down, too, in the sense that we may, may be uncomfortable continuing to lend against that AR from the working capital perspective. Do you find that you do more business in Florida because you're in, in Florida, or is it all across the country? We have clients all across the country from Seattle to New York to Texas to the Southeast. But we prefer if our clients be closer to the Southeast, but we'll go anywhere. Steve, I, I wanted, can you, can you clarify like if I'm the asset-based lender and when we have $2 million in AR to a company, they file Chapter 11, there's $2 million in AR, we have $1.5 million loan balance. For whatever reason, we don't want to do the dip. A new lender comes in and the judge and the court does give them super priority. Can we collect out of those pre-petition AR in, that, in a case like that? Uh, yes, the, the new lender will have a loan on the post-petition receivables that are created after that new loan or after the bankruptcy is filed. So you will still have the lien, the first lien, on and maybe the only lien on the old receivables until you're paid off. Is there circumstances or does it very rarely, if ever, happen where the dip lender will, I don't see why they would, would step in to pre-petition AR and just like take out the senior lender and provide new financing. I guess it's possible, but unlikely. Uh, it's not that, you know, again, every case is different and every case rests on its own facts and finances. If it makes sense for the new lender to take out the old lender, thereby increasing its loan and getting more interest and more fees than it would do that. I mean, they're in business. They're a lender. They're in business to loan. If they can loan $2 million instead of a million, they've sold 100% more of their product. Yeah, I was thinking about in situations where you have long progress pay or long-term contracts where maybe you want to come in and uh, just curious if you'd seen that before. But typically, they come in on, on post-petition assets. Pre-petition lender, I guess, just gets to collect out in the normal course. And if they are successful, great. If not, then they take their lumps, I, I, I would assume, on AR that may not collect or perform.
Axelby is a full-service software development agency who loves to dig into your project and deliver the perfect software for your business. Let us put our years of experience as business executives and expert software development to work to make your project a big success. Get started by calling 469-226-6061 or by emailing danaaxelby.com. That's D-A-N at A-X-E-L-B-Y dot com. And together we'll figure out whether Axelby fits into your project. Want more content? Then head over to Patreon and become a member. On Patreon, we are working on a catalog of bonus episodes, and you can hear the answers to your questions from a business perspective instead of just a legal one. If you want more direct access to Neil and Steve, or want to supplement the education you are already getting here, then follow the links in the show notes below and become a patron today. Bonus episodes will include MCA-type loans, answers to most common questions, lender's roundtable, debtors-in-possession loans, and bankruptcy from the Chief Restructuring Officer's Chair. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you over there on Corporate Bankruptcy A to Z.